You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. We just come to you, Lord. We thank you, dear Lord, that you love us. Lord, we feel, dear Lord, I know I do. Lord, sometimes we come into this place we feel um, inadequate. Lord, sometimes we look, we think the crowd is not what it usually is. And Lord, I forget that, Lord, you have said we're two or three. Just two or three people are gathered. I'll be there. And if I'm there, that is the reason, and the purpose for which you worship. We thank you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we ask you, dear Lord, to not only inhabit praise and worship, but Lord, to inhabit your word. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. Because Lord, I want to be a vessel that, dear Lord, can sing and praise and give you glory, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of any situation that our eyes would be fixed on you, the Arthur, the finisher of our faith, that we would be reminded of your sacrifice and all that you've done for us. And Lord, we pray right now that, Lord, you would just open up our hearts and may we be receptive and we give you the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to remain standing And I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 26. You know, there are some Sunday mornings, it seems like everything goes wrong. Um, I was in the bathroom a little while ago early this morning, stomach giving me problems and thinking to myself, Lord, uh, Janice is out, Belle called, they're on their way to the ER and she can't teach, and um, of course, Irene's been out, and Sunday school teacher's not here, and it just seems like uh, Eric and them are not doing the sound today. It just seems like one interruption after another, and before long, it it can weigh you down. Uh, Doug, you know, that's sometimes the way it feels on Hanger Church night, and if we're not careful, what happens, we forget why we're even here at all. And, and we are here to bring glory and praise to the name of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 26 verse 3 is a verse that Sheila and I have written and placed around our home. It says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he does what? Because he trusts in you. In verse um, When you read on over Isaiah 26, you get over to uh, verse 12. Lord, you established peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Verse 13, O Lord our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us. But your name alone do we honor. And I want us to focus on that passage because we've taken, we spent a year and a half in Genesis And we've taken a little short reprieve here from exegetical expository preaching to look at this subject in January in this first month of the new year on Lordship Living. 
Paul said in Romans 10 verse 9, If we will confess with our mouth, Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. But I want you to look again at what he says in verse 13, in Isaiah 26, 13. O Lord our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us. And that's the problem. And today the title of the message is Lordship, a matter, a matter of the will. You see, we trust in what is Lord over our lives. If you trust, if you, if money is the Lord of your life, as Mr. Wonderful on, on this program that he's on, if that is the, if that is the motivation, the desire the Lord of your life, then that's where you put your trust. And the banks use even that terminology. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord. We love you. Uh, Lord, we ask you right now through the power of your Holy Spirit to speak very clearly through your word. I pray, dear Lord, you'd cleanse me, forgive me. Let me be a vessel that you can use, Lord, and we'll give you the glory in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Mark Cuban, well, let me say this first of all. Let me make that statement again because that's a good principle. We tend to trust what is Lord over our lives. We tend to trust what is Lord over our lives. If money holds a high priority in your life, if to a degree it kind of controls your life, it's kind of Lord of your life, then you tend to put your trust in that. So we've been watching here around the world as about a billion and a half dollars has been in the lottery purse. Anybody been seeing this on the news? In everybody, people have traveled great distance, they've stood in line, they've gone without, they've gone on their lunch break, they've done this. Everybody has been trying as best they could to get their name in the hat because they wanted to win the big one. Now, Mark Cuban, Cuban who is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks and also is on Mr. Wonderful's program there. What is that? My mind went blank. Shark Tank, yeah. Uh, Mark Cuban, who is a billionaire and the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, he said this in counseling anybody who might win the lottery. Now listen to what he said. Basically, it went something like this. He said, you know, money will not fix everything. In other words, he said, if you're happy now, then when you win that big purse, you're just going to be a little happier because you're not going to have bills to pay. But he went on to make this statement, but if you are unhappy before you win the lottery, chances are winning the lottery won't fix that and you'll in time continue to be unhappy. Isn't that right? Now, I don't know about you, but I wrote down, yeah, right, Mark. No one believes that. And if I had enough money, I don't think I would have any worries. Now, let me say this, money cannot remove worry. Even the wealthy worry. And money cannot make you and I happy. Now in Isaiah, here in Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet is speaking to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, has been exiled to Assyria. The southern kingdom is getting ready to be exiled to Babylon. And for the Jewish people, it's been a great deal of suffering and heartache and pain. 
And in, in Isaiah 26, verse 13, I think part of the pain, part of the sorrow is simply this, that there have been other nations, other governments, and other things that have begun to be Lord of the nation of Israel, have lordship. Let me illustrate this. On Wednesday night, and I've about tore up my table, but we've been going through the book of Zephaniah. Now let's say that this pulpit, and here's the Word of God, let's say that the pulpit represents God. And here I am. Now let me say this, that God will never allow anything to come between you and Him. Anything that is here, whatever is on this table, whatever this table represents in your life, has the ability to be the Lord of your life. In other words, you make decisions based on whatever this is. So what God does when you and I put something between ourselves and Him, job, marriage, children, money, whatever it is, first of all, God's not going to like it. So what God will begin to do, He'll begin to convict us. We start reading the Bible, we begin to pray, God begins to impress upon this, that this thing, whatever it may be, has become an idol in our life. Now what God is wanting us to do, and if you're on the website listening, what what God is wanting us to do, and what I'm doing right now, is I'm moving the table voluntarily. Whatever it is that is between me and God that is beginning to take the sovereign control of my life, governing my life, that's what lordship is. God is convicting me and pressing upon me to voluntarily set it aside. But let's say that I don't do that. Then whatever this is begins to cause me problems. If my marriage, if my job, if my money, if my staying, being in good health, if I become preoccupied, if that becomes the Lord of my life, then it begins to cause me problems. Now again, what God is, the only thing that God wants is He doesn't want anything between me and you, I mean you and Him, or me and God. So what God is still wanting us to do is to do what? to voluntarily move it out of the way. Now, what we don't want and what God will eventually do is God will do this. God will finally... What? Whatever the idol, whatever is taking lordship over our lives, God will sooner or later remove it. Because He'll never allow anything in your life and my life to take control of our life to that degree. Like I said, we spent a year and a half in the book of Genesis. But over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about resolutions. We've been talking about how to improve this life of ours. We're in a time of the year when we step back, we look at our health, we look at diet, we look at our debt, we look at our disciplines, our spiritual disciplines, and we recognize that we want to make some changes in our lives. But we said this, when you and I do that this time of the year, we can get ready because there's going to be what kind of war? There's going to be a spiritual war that is beginning to take place because our enemy, listen to this, our enemy is warring against any attempt on our part to improve an area of our life or to remove something that is seeking to be the Lord of our life. 
In other words, when you and I do this, whatever it may be that's having lordship, getting in the way of our serving completely and totally um, the lordship of Christ, anytime we do that, once we start trying to move something, trying to improve ourselves, to make corrections, we can get ready because there is a spiritual war taking place. Whatever is on the table, whatever this table may represent between you and between God, the enemy wants it to remain there. And so the enemy is in the process of war. I'm writing a blog, and I wrote this past week in this blog, 2016 Resolutions from Hell. We looked at those last week. That number one, the resolution would be to sear the conscience. We have an enemy. He wants to sear the conscience, as Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He want, Listen, if this, this is sin, he allows a measure of sin to remain in our lives. He wants us to keep a measure of sin in our life. He wants to sear our conscience and remove the conviction that comes over this table, whatever it means. So he sears the conscience in... 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he quenches or silences the Holy Spirit. And then finally in Ephesians 4, 29-32, we grieve the Holy Spirit, which means we sorrow the Holy Spirit. So anytime you and I make some resolutions, especially spiritual resolutions, where we're going to begin to read the Bible more, we're going to begin to pray more, we're going to get more involved in church, we're going to begin to plant our life in some kind of ministry, we can get ready. Whatever it is, you've got an enemy and he's going to begin to war against it. Does that make sense? So we have an enemy. Now, I, I wrote this down because I thought it was so good. Because remember, this word hagios, this word for holy is what God is trying to do in your life and in my life. When you and I became a follower of Christ, then we begin a journey by which God is hagios, seeking to conform us and make us into the image of His Son. He's wanting to chip away unholy things in our life. We call that hagiosmos, this process of sanctification. But as you and I get serious about it, whatever it may be, then we have to recognize that we have an enemy and he's warring against that. Now let me give you an illustration. I thought that Robbie Zacharias said this was life-changing. Listen to what he said. He said, my brother was living, this has been many, many years ago. Robbie Zacharias is an Indian from, I mean, he's from India and he's an apologist. He's on the faculty, I think, of Oxford. Uh, a brilliant man. Many of you have heard of him. But he said this was a life-changing moment. And I believe it has a lot to do with this message today. He said, my brother was living in Paris. He was finishing up his education and he was looking forward to marriage and family. Only one problem. He didn't have nobody to marry. In that culture, he sent word to his father. He said, as he was graduating, had acquired all of his degrees and was now positioned in a good job, he sent word to his dad. He said, Dad, it's time to start looking for me a wife. Wow. You imagine your dad and mom looking for you a husband or wife? The aunt... The ant was incorporated into the search, and eventually a prospect was found. Now, this is in a culture where the arrangements are often made by the mom and the dad as to who their son or daughter will marry. 
So all of the arrangements have been made, and this brother, Ravi Zacharias, says his brother and his father are flying to Bombay to meet the woman. Ravi Zacharias asks his brother, he questions his brother as to the cultural process, and he asks his brother this. Now listen closely. What if you're coming down the ramp and you look at this woman and you think, I hope that's not her? His, and now he also said, and she looks and says, I hope that's not him. His brother put his arm around Ravi. He looked at him and he said, what I'm about to tell you, never forget. And he made this statement. He said, love is not a mere question of emotion, but rather a question of the will. He said, I choose to love the one my father has set before me, just as Isaac loved Rebekah. Let me read again the thought here. He said, love is not a mere question of obedience. I mean, of an emotion, but rather it is a question of the will. Let me read some quotes. I want you to listen. Lordship living. When you and I come under the lordship of Jesus Christ and we take this matter of lordship living seriously, what it means, it means this. It means I bring every decision, every choice, every attitude, every behavior, every program that I watch, every music that I li- all the music that I listen to, friendships, job, educational course, career, my husband, my wife, my children, everything, every day under his direction rather than mine. That means that he is Lord of every single decision in my life. Number two, every decision is not any longer based on my appetite, my desire, my flesh, my popularity, my position, my money, my advancement in my career. It is not what is beneficial to me, but what, but what rather what is going to make me look more like Jesus and what will advance his kingdom. Number three, lordship is critical in relationships. If you parent children, you will need the guidance and the direction and the discernment of Jesus Christ in order to raise your children. Number four, you will need it in the guidance and the direction and the discernment to maintain a Christ-honoring marriage. Number five, lordship is not a mere question of emotion, but rather a question of the will. Now listen closely. I may not feel like it. Let me tell you, you will never voluntarily, necessarily feel comfortable doing this, moving whatever comes between you and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You may not feel like it, but it is not a matter of your feelings. It's a matter of faith. It's not a matter of your emotions and what you feel. It is a question of your will. Listen to what one writer said. I may not feel like it. I probably will not like it. But Lordship like love is not a matter of an emotion, but a matter of the will. And we forget that. 
We want to remove something out of our life when we feel like it. And my friend, there are some things in your life and in my life we will never feel like it because they're of the flesh. Willie Cox, who was speaking um, to a group of students from Mississippi, uh, Mississippi State University, they had come to help us in our homeless ministry. And he was speaking to them, and, and I watched these college students as they grew very quiet. Then I began to see tears in the room, and then I began to hear just deep theological, much theological wisdom. Willie Cox made this statement this past week, and I used this Wednesday night. He said, until a man has the want, nothing will change in his life. You see, lordship is surrendering the will, the want to Jesus Christ and his indwelling Holy Spirit. In Gethsemane, if you remember at the shadow of the cross and great suffering and great pain, we see that scene where Jesus is on his knees and he finally comes to that point that he says, not my will, but thy will be done. There was nothing that felt, there was no feeling. The, the idea there, he couldn't wait till he felt like it. It was nothing but pain and sorrow and heartache and suffering. Fle as far as the flesh was concerned, it was not the decision to make. As far as the Spirit was concerned in the will of God, it was exactly what needed to be done. In the 1990s, do you remember they wore a bracelet? What were a lot of Christians, followers of Christ, wearing a bracelet? What did it say? WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? What did that mean? The people who wore that bracelet simply were saying this, in every single decision of my life, 24-7, 365 days out of the year, I'm going to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ with that question always on my mind, what would Jesus do? Number six, lordship living like love is not always a matter of emotions. Sometimes I don't feel it in my flesh. I don't want to do whatever it may be in my flesh, but it is a matter of the will and it is surrendering the will to the will of God. For three summers, I went from state to state, capital to capital, walking around every capital building seven times. I would be gone away from my wife for weeks on end. I want you to listen. I would be gone away from my wife from weeks on end. The flesh in me was screaming in every hotel I walked into. And this prayer was always said before every single hotel. And what I'm telling you is a miracle of God. In every single hotel, when I checked into that hotel, I said, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And God, I can't even stand surfing the channels and risking that moment because God, my flesh is weak. So lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Look this way. Not one time in weeks, 
three weeks at a time over three. That's literally about a month and a half, nearly two months I spent on the road, hotel after hotel, truck stop after truck stop. Not one time did I ever come across one channel that led me to be tempted in the area of the flesh because I said to God, I can't handle it. I'm weak right now and I'm vulnerable to the enemy. And listen to the words there. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. In the Greek, it is the evil one. Not once. I wrote down here, Lord, my flesh does not even listen and don't think bad of me. My flesh does not even want to make this prayer. My flesh does not want me to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. My flesh does not want me to pray, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. My flesh does not want me to pray that prayer. Paul said in Galatians 5.17, he says, you and I are in a great spiritual war for the control of our heart. And Paul said the Holy Spirit and the flesh are battling for control. And that's why the Bible says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It means lordship living is when you and I say, God, Lord Jesus Christ, what would you have me to do? I was sitting and I was sitting there getting ready to watch the national championship. I was over sitting down in a living room just like this. I was waiting for the game to start just like everybody else, Clemson, Alabama. When all of a sudden the the, uh, national anthem came on and everybody stood up. And if you watch that, you remember that scene. The woman who was singing the national anthem, the one who sang was unbelievably, literally almost nude from the waist up. It was ridiculous in a college setting, of a, uh, in a university setting. People should have immediately, somebody in those two schools, University of Alabama or Clemson, should have immediately raised a ruckus and should not have allowed her to go to the platform. We communicated, we com- communicated the very opposite of what a university in this, in this country stands for. And in that moment, when that scene came up, Immediately, my flesh is drawn to look at that TV. I said, I said, Sheila, would you look at that? And I turned my head away, but everything in me, my flesh was saying, turn back and look again. You see, the reality is in your life and in my life that sometimes it is not in a matter, it's not a matter of an emotion, it's not a matter of a feeling, it is a matter of the prayer, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from the evil one, and it is the matter of simply saying, Lord Jesus Christ, I need your help, I cannot do this alone. Lordship living. Now let me say, It's not just a matter of lordship living. It's a matter of your leadership. 
In fact, I wrote this down. I said, as your pastor, I make a commitment to you at the beginning of 2016 to seek to live every moment of every day under the lordship of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What that means is that by the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and by the indwelling power of His Holy Spirit, I, as your pastor, will live 2016 under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And let me say this, listen, it is not easy. And it is impossible without the Holy Spirit giving you what you need. And as I said, as Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, we have to be filled with His Holy Spirit in order to be able to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something. Let me give you some questions. How many dads would say today to their wife and their children, today I make a commitment, I'm going to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This year, every decision that I make, I will preface it with simply this, what is God's will and what God would have me to do? How many wives would say to their husband and their children the same? How many children would say to their parents, how many professing Christians would say to those peers, those friendships, those work associates, fellow church members, I've heard the challenge of our pastor and I'm going to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. How many would be willing to repent for not living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? How many dads would sit their kids down and say, kids, I've not been leading you like I should. I've made some poor decisions. I've allowed things to come into this home, into this family that I should not have allowed. And forgive me. And right now, I'm living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to forgive me. How many moms would do that? How many husbands would do that? How many wives would do that? How many bosses would do that? How many employees would do that? How many church members would do that? Joshua said, as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. What he was saying is Jesus Christ, God is Lord over my life and all those that I'm leading. You see, any authority, I wrote this down, any authority that I am given, I am accountable for all those people who are under that authority. How many moms would pull their children up next to them and say to them, your mommy is going to live this year as close as I can to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, my children are young, they may not understand. Say it anyway. If you have small children, let me remind you of something. This world in the 60 years that I've been living here has gone tragically and radically worse. And outside of divine intervention, which means a natural disaster that will be nationwide or a massive war, I don't believe that this country will turn around. For young parents, you had better come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ where you live every day asking the question, what would Jesus do? How many women would pull their children? How many moms, your mommy's going to live a different... How many senior adults would, would call their grown children and say to a grown son or daughter, I'm making a commitment to live every day of my life for Christ and I'm going to pray for you like I've never prayed for you before. I made this statement. I said the, tra the tragedy of pastoring today is that people ignore my counsel 
and invite me into their crisis. Isn't that the problem of being a parent? Your children ignore your counsel, but invite you into their crisis. You say, why live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? A few weeks ago, I had a, a, a dear couple, Jordan and Lauren Robinson. I was told uh, Courtney and Brian, who are friends of theirs, Courtney said they were rushing their little two-year-old to Batson. They live in Union. He's a, he's a professor at a junior college there and works in a, in a ministerial staff position part-time, and then she is a dentist. Jordan told me standing in the hallway of Batson, he was sitting there looking at me with tears in his eyes. And by the way, he listens to every one of our podcasts. He looked at me and he said, you know, when I walked in and saw my little two-year-old in the middle of seizures and we were trying to get him then to Batson, and he said the diagnosis was grim. He said it was the most frightening moment of my life. Sheila and I stood there with them. We wept, we cried, we prayed. And God brought that little boy. Are you listening? God brought that little boy through that crisis. Christmas Day, he went home. Uh, That was on a Wednesday night. We were talking to uh, Lauren. We were talking to Jordan. The next Wednesday, he's he's one of three brothers His oldest brother, the pillar, the strength of that family, was on his way home. He's the father of four children. He was on his way home. He was in a conversation with his wife. And if I understand correctly, something happened and he looked down. And when he looked up, a car hit him head on. His wife immediately went to the scene of the accident. He wasn't far from home. His wife, either her mom or his mom, helped get him out of the ambulance. I mean, helped get him out of the vehicle. They carried him to a hospital there in Meridian, and he died. Jordan said, somebody called me. One week later from my two-year-old, somebody called me and said, your brother's been in an accident, and you need to call right now and find out how bad it is. He said, while I was trying to call to find out how bad it was, he said, the next call came, your brother's gone. Why do we live under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Why do we walk so intimately with him? Because we're either going to be standing one day very quickly before him as his brother was, or either we are going to have to walk somebody through the heart. And we need the presence and the indwelling power of God's Holy Spirit to get us through that. He needs to be Lord right now. Because the only way you and I can make it through the trials and the difficulties and the struggles of this life is when he's Lord. I'm not going any farther. The last one was loyalty. Lordship, leadership, loyalty. I make a commitment to you. But let me tell you, if you and I have not done this, 
if we are not here. Then when we come to that difficulty, that trial, that moment in our life where our world comes crashing down, in the world you'll have tribulation. But be a good cheer, Jesus said, I've come to over, I've, I've come to, what, I've overcome the world. Yes, Sheila's helping me, thank you. My mind gets to racing. James said this, he said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You and I, sooner or later, are going to go through trials and difficulties. Listen, look this way. And if you're, on the, if you're listening on the website, you can't see this. But whatever is between me and the sovereignty and the rule and the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life, listen, when that crisis comes, it is hard for me to do this. God is wanting you to be so intimately tied to him that when those moments come in our life that we're suffering and we're hurting and we're in pain, that in that moment we feel the quiet presence of the Lord that says we're going to get through this. Last week, Jordan was broken. He and I talked one day for a long time. He wept, I wept. He said my brother was just the, the pillar, the strength the strong one. His dad is a minister, part-time pastor and works another job, had a radical conversion to Christ. But Jordan was wrestling through this and he said, I just don't understand. And he wrestling with all those emotions. And I told him, I said, Jordan, think about it. He said, one week ago, I said, that's right. One week ago, one week ago, you nearly lost your son one week later, you're counseling your dad because he did lose his. I said, Jordan, God was preparing you for what you would have to do. My friend, you hear me. If you think you'll be exempt from storms and trials and difficulties in your life, you're fooled. They're going to come. The Bible promises that. We're in enemy territory. And the only thing that you and I can do is say, Jesus Christ, he's Lord. And every decision I make this year, every movie that I watch, every music that I listen to, every friendship, everything, job, whatever it may be, every decision, I first drop into my knees and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord. And first, dear Lord, I want to pray. I want to pray for Jordan. I want to pray for his family. I want to pray for his mom and his dad. I want to pray for that sweet, precious widow and her four little boys and their four children. Lord, I pray, dear Lord, for this family that you would wrap your arms around them and encourage them and strengthen them. And Remind them that, dear Lord, they loved, that you loved them. We pray, dear Lord, as we look at our own lives and reflect, reflect over this past year, maybe we look back over 2015 and we see a life that has been bruised up, marriages that have been battered, trying to raise kids, and we feel like we're just exhausted and we're failing. Maybe we look at our life and we think our health is going down the tube. We look at our debt and we think my debt is out of control. Our lives just seem in 2015 to have slipped backward in every way. 
we feel like spiritually that we've lost ground. We look back and we think, I'm not as close to the Lord as I used to be. I miss the Lord. I miss the closeness that I felt. It doesn't matter. I go to church, but the worship, the preaching, the Sunday school, nothing seems to be changing me because my heart is not where it needs to be. So Lord, I pray today that first of all, if there's anyone here that is not a believer, not a follower of Christ and you've spoken to their heart, that they may come today. And it may be because we've got a small crowd. It may be that some in this room who might have been intimidated, might have been reluctant, may feel even more freer today to come and just simply to say, pray for me. I want Jesus Christ to come and live in my heart. I'm not a Christian. For others in this room, the reality is that somewhere, someplace in their past, they begin to slip away. And spiritually, they've lost ground. And your Holy Spirit is speaking now for the first time in a very long time and is speaking very clearly and it's saying this, it's time It's time for me to be the Lord of every area of your life because you won't relent until you have it all. And so we pray, dear Lord, for that. And we ask you, dear Lord, that you would just get a hold of all of us today. May this altar be a place where we can come. May Reggie, as he's standing here, as I'm here, that if someone says, pray for me, I want this year to be a new beginning. Pray, dear Lord, that that can happen. Draw people here in the name of Jesus. Amen.